this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. That was a good shout. Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. Some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to him, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But the evil spirit saw Jesus. It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell into the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire and into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was groaning, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes the boy unable to... Uh, unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and to never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and helped him up to his feet, and he stood up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ryan. Come on, give God a shout. He's worthy. You can be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. I missed you. I missed you last week. How many of you know two weeks is a long time to be apart? (laughs) I missed you so much. We're in a series called Jesus Said What? And um, let me tell you what I've landed on and what I would like to attempt to do. Uh, I find that a lot of people who are Jesus followers believe in him, that he existed like he was real. Uh, he's God, he's real, he's in heaven, he's coming back for us. That, that across the board in Christian faith, we believe in his reality. The challenge is not believing his reality. The challenge is believing that the words he said while he was here are still valid. And that what he said is true versus my experiences. Because I can believe he exists in heaven. I can believe he's there. I can believe he's coming back in my Christian thinking. But when I read the scriptures and the things he said that challenge me, 
they, they challenge logic, like I don't get it, I don't understand it, and so my logic says that can't be true. Or it challenges my experiences. We just prayed for healing, right? So he says we can pray for healing, but my experience says that's not true because they prayed for me and I did not get healed. So it must not be true. And then therefore, even though I believe in him, the words he said are challenged because logically I cannot understand them or experientially I can't reason them to be true because they're not true for me. And if they're not true for me, then they must not be true at all. Or I might even just give you the benefit of that. So, well, they may be true for you, but it, not me. Uh, this week, I was doing what I typically do, just trying to keep up with what's going on in culture. And I came across a debate. And the debate was that uh, Jesus is transgender or was a transgender. And so that intrigued me. Like, I'm 56 years old. This is one of the first times... I've ever seen a panel of pastors discuss and prove biblically that Jesus was a transgender. And so it intrigued me. Like, I was like, how could I be this far along and not know Jesus is a transgender? Like, ah, man, as much as I've studied the Bible and I'm just finding out he's transgender. And so I listened, like, okay, I want to see where they're coming from. And so what the debate was is was making a point that our culture today uh, we're very much gender confused or gender fluid whichever side you fall on and and we want Jesus to be able to identify with us and we want to identify with him so to identify with the Jesus we love if his words go contrary to us then we just finagle with his words until they fit us alright so I have no problem that Jesus loves everybody. I have no problem that Jesus is he's out there. But when his words don't match my life or his words don't match my experience or his words don't match my logic and reasoning, I feel like it's a silly thing to try to twist his words to fit me. So the debate went like this. Here's how we prove Jesus was a transgender. So they had theologians and all kind of people. And the argument was he's transgender because in his day, it was the job of a woman to wash people's feet. Men did not wash feet. Women washed feet. So when Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples' feet, he took the role of a woman and transgendered into a woman to do what women did. And everybody's like... Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting there. The only thing I could come up with is I just need an Oreo blizzard. Man, I... Right? Like, I'm like, I don't get it. I know where you're going. But, man, I did not go there. That I did, you know. And so, so I, I don't I want to act like I'm foolish. And I don't want to pretend like that our culture is not trying to reason with the words of Jesus. If your lifestyle contradicts Jesus, your sexuality contradicts Jesus, your opinions, your religion, your philosophy on life, if it contradicts Jesus, then the goal is not to change Jesus to fit you. The goal is to look at ourself and say, if he's the eternal God never changing, then I cannot change him to fit a culture that's changing. I have to, in other words, he's the plumb line. I don't bend him to fit the wall and go, it's plumb. I look at the plumb line and go, I'm out of plumb, and I pull myself to that. 
So in my life, I'm not saying that I've agreed with everything Jesus has said or that I've liked it. I'm just admitting it's true whether I like it or not. And it's true whether I agree with it or not. It's true because he said it. And so then therefore, it, it, it leaves to, to beg and to debate that when our culture, which is so, uh, the word they use now is so woke, it will become very easy to be, this is a hard word to put together, it's almost an oxymoron, a woke believer. My opinion is you can't be a woke believer. You either is woke or you is believing. But you can't be both. That's my opinion. I know people would argue with that. The reason I say it is I can be a woke believer if I leave what he says out and I only go off of he's a good God that loves everybody, then I can be a woke believer. But if I say he's God who loves everybody, but he has a will that he's written for us, I can't be a woke believer if my will is antithetical to his will because he pulls me. Does that make sense? So this is what this series is about. It's trying to define the hard things that he said and then make sense of them. So today what we will do is pull ourselves to what he said to be true. Rather than it can't be true because it's not my experience. It can't be true because logically my head doesn't get it. So where we'll land, at least here at Believers, I land the plane, everything he said is true. I doesn't mean I, I understand it all, and it doesn't mean that I often go, I don't get it, but it makes me dig it out to bring myself back to it. Let's jump into what Ryan read today. The story is interesting because it brings probably a quote from Jesus that is very well loved by his followers, but often misunderstood. The gentleman jumps in as a father, and he jumps in with his sick kid. And when he jumps in with the sick kid, he brings the sick kid to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, how long has this been happening to this kid? He said, oh, man, he's been sick since he's a boy. I mean, we can't do anything. Well, I guess he's tried everything. And then he even alludes that there's something weirdly happening to him that's otherworldly. This isn't he just drank bad water or he got a hold of a chicken that was, you know, not cooked good. This is that the, the whole story lends itself that there is an otherly world that's working in the kid. It starts out with an impossibility. How does a human combat a spirit of another world that has invaded my kid? I don't know if the man has his theology right or not. We're not even told. All we're told is dad is desperate. And in his desperation, he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, I need to know if you'll have mercy and help us if you can. And then, I love Jesus. It's just, what do you mean, if I can? I don't know if that came in. How dare you question? I mean, that would be the rude Jesus, the passive-aggressive Jesus. How dare you question me if I can? I'm God. I don't think he was passive-aggressive. I think the way he meant it was, what do you mean if I can? 
In other words, why would you ask me if I could if you're already here and brought him hoping I would? If you didn't believe I could, you would have never brought him. So all Jesus does is just take him back to the real reason of why you're here. You genuinely believe I can do something. And so then I love what Jesus said. And it's, man, it is, I have wrestled, literally, I mean, this isn't just a sermon. I have wrestled with this for years. Because out of Jesus' mouth comes a statement that when Ryan read it, the room erupted with praise. And anything is possible if he believes. And we, I was in the back, amen. We're all like, yeah, Jesus. Woo, come on, somebody. Like we were excited about it. It just gives us hope. It gives us hope that your husband can really be nice. It gives us hope that you might, could possibly lose weight. Like it gives us hope anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I read that years ago and it preaches. I mean, I've been preaching since I was 16. Like it just feels right. It preaches. I have preached it over and over and sweated. And come on, don't you know that anything is possible? Yes, he can heal that. And I mean, it preaches so good, but it doesn't live as good as it preaches. Anything? Anything. Okay. Then I'd like to know, this is my, my life experiences. I would like to know if anything is possible. And I prayed and asked you to help me pass biology and I flunked it well anything is possible except biology because I was in college and I flunked the biology exam and I prayed and I asked you to help me and I flunked anyway so anything is possible okay I'll give you any why didn't you just say most things like I'm God most things are possible except biology So it makes me question, anything? Well, if anything, then why did I flunk the test? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. I wish my wife were here for her to tell you that anything is possible, but maybe not. Because as she's driving down the road, it's 32 miles from here to our house. The car she drives talks to her. You have 25 miles before you're empty. And it gives her a nice little light. 25 miles. And then you have to actually tell it, I want to ignore you. I rebuke you. This car can go 32 miles even though you tell me 25. Because I have faith that all things are possible. And so another warning light. You have 10 miles before you run out and she's passing Pope Road and I'm thinking just pull over she's not thinking just pull over because in her brain all things are possible I can drive it bone dry and God will put gas in my car even though Toyota's saying no he won't no he won't you're required to pull over so when she calls me and says honey I ran out of gas I'm not spiritual I'm not thinking, let me rescue you. I'm thinking, how in God's name could a college-educated woman 
with a car that starts telling you at 50 miles how much time you have. How many times as a woman did you have to ignore that to, to be caught on the side of the road and now inconvenience me because I said something at the altar for better or worse? I don't even know why the preacher had me say that because... I was not thinking of the lunacy of you to tempt the Lord God Almighty to him to put gas in. That's literally what I'm thinking. I don't say that because we wouldn't sleep together. I'm just, I just keep it all internally and it brews as I go with the gas can. Because in her mind, all things are possible. God, just get me home. Oh, just get me home. Just get me there. Just get me there. And she runs out of gas, so maybe all things are possible except biology, and well, you run out of gas. I was going down I-20 several years ago. I was in a, my vehicle, and I was headed to Augusta, and the car started acting up, and, it, and then it just quit running. And so I pull off to the side of the road. I'm on the highway, so cars are zipping by, and I'm on the highway. But God, this is literally true. God, you say all things are possible. I speak to this van. And I command this van to run in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm a child bought by God. I'm an overcoming child of the Lord. No weapon formed against me will prosper. <laughs> I command you to start in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong with you, you rebellious van. You van that has come out of line with God. <laughs> van never worked. Thank God I got triple A. Call on God. He doesn't answer the van. Call AAA. We'll be there in 22 minutes. All things are possible. Because my logic says he had to have lied. Because otherwise, everything in my life would be possible. I could get into grad school. I could get into med school. I could run a four-minute mile. I could lift 400 pounds. Anything's possible. Anything. If you just believe, that's where word of faith people come in. Because we never blame it on God. We would just say, well, you didn't believe enough. What do you mean I didn't believe enough? I'm on the highway about to get run over. I'm quoting scriptures. I'm praying in tongues. I'm commanding angels to leave their assignment and to come do this. How could you dare tell me I don't believe because God wouldn't start my car? Because it makes me feel better if it's your fault, not his fault. Because how dare we humans say it's his fault. It must be your fault. So we land on anything, his fault, believe my fault. And then airs the battle of life. He says, I could believe, and I believe, I think, but my husband's no different, my wife's still no different, we're still borderline getting divorced, but I thought I could believe and command him to come in line with God, but he's not coming in line with God, so come on. Anything, believe. And in that moment becomes the battle of 20 years of my life of trying to, how many times I've quoted it, wishing it would work, but it didn't work. And now Mark has to determine, is he a liar? Or do I need to dig deeper and pull myself back up to the truth? So when I read it, let me tell you where I landed today to try to make sense of this. Rather than trying to determine is this statement true based on my experiences, 
based on my experiences, I would take the word anything off and just put some things. I would have to rewrite what Jesus said. Based on my logic, I, I also would have to take the word anything and do some things. Is it possible, if you believe, you could swim from Miami to Cuba? Well, because all things are possible. You just have to believe. So before you jumped in, I'll just say, you better make sure you believe. Could you give me a scripture before you start swimming? So here's the thought of the day and then the response of the man. What you think about Jesus, this is what we said every week, who he is and what he says matters greatly. And here's the extra sentence we add each week. And if you believe in him, all things really are possible. Because what Mark cannot do is change what he said. What he said is true. So what it does for me is it makes me, rather than saying it's true because I've, I've experienced it to be true, it's true because I logically can deduce that it's true, but I go back and say it's not true because it's just in the Bible. It's true, and here's where I land the plane, it's true because of the person who said it. Alright, so... I have to at least say that the person who said all things are possible, here's what's weird and strange in the thinking. The person that said anything, or what version, all things are possible. That person that made that declarative statement, and, and he, he made it in such a way that you can't even put a question mark. In his thinking, it's just certain. I have to say, I need to start with, it's true because of who he is. So rather than trying to go, but, 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 and but, and but, and what, and what, doing that, which would be my typical, I just want to go back and go, well, let me see if it's true because of him. What should I know about, here's my thinking, what should I know about him that could make that statement true for me? Okay? So let's go to the guy's response because I think it's key to all of us. It shows the battle of what's really going on. The father, whose boy's in really trouble, the father cries out and says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Let's see if I can define it in, in an object lesson. All things are possible if you believe, Dad. I do believe. I got out of bed. I got him dressed. I told his mother I was bringing him here to meet you. I truly believe by meeting you, you can do something for him. That's I do believe. However, I wrestle with this is just going to be another disappointment. I believe because I got out of bed. I believe because I was told you could. I believe because there's something in me that gives me a ray of hope. But I'm also being honest that I'm a human and up to this point, nothing has worked. No doctor has healed him. No, no medicine has worked. So, I mean, you got to help my unbelief. I think it's kind of where all Jesus followers are. Of course we believe. We got out of bed on a 28-degree weather and we came to a, 
a, a building to sing songs about him and to worship him and do communion and listen to somebody talk about his teachings. And of course I believe in him. However, my marriage is still broken. My husband, my child, my job, my money, my dog, my dad, my mom. So yes, I believe because I'm still in the game, but man, my unbelief. And that's kind of been my battle through the years. Of course I believe it. He's Jesus. He said it. But man, my experiences and my logic just seem to be antithetical to that. So what I, what I want to try to do in a few moments is to bridge the, uh, yes, I believe because you're God versus my logic that's way over here. My experiences, but he didn't fix my car, but he didn't heal my body, but he didn't but he tells me everything. So to do that, as I was praying, how would I present this that it would be meaningful? I started thinking rather than why not and why I struggle with unbelief, I decided to go back and look at the life of the person who's made the statement. And the person that made the statement, if I could figure out what was going on in them, the statement may make more sense to me and why maybe I flunked biology or I ran out of gas if you told me it was possible. So in my study time, in my brain, I went back thinking of Jesus from his birth to his death. Now in my studies I could find, apart from his birth, I could find no example of anything out of the ordinary, supernatural, impossible happening in his life until after his temptation. It was at the temptation that you start seeing impossible things happening. After the temptation, he turns water into wine. He raises dead people. He walks on water. He calms the storms. Before the temptation, nada. There are no miracles he does that we know of. Nothing's recorded that he works his magic. Nothing. He just is a kid growing up. And then this definitive moment in the wilderness. And then out of the wilderness, Luke 4 will say this. Never stated before, but Luke will tell us. And he came out of that moment full of power. So what I gather in that is this Jesus human, God human before the wilderness really wasn't doing impossible things. He's just building furniture or whatever he did. After the temptation, he comes out full of power and turns water into wine. And then there are the miracles that the gospel writers write about. So I went back to the definitive line and I began to pray, God, teach me what he knew about possibility that I obviously hadn't got yet. Because I'm still a little unbelieving that my car didn't start and unbelieving that I didn't make it home with the gas and unbelieving that I flunked biology and that you don't do everything that I want you to do. Let's jump into Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is where the temptation begins. So I would call this the line of demarcation between the impossible happening in someone's life. Is I would start here, and this is the Matthew 4, verse 1, the top of the chapter. 
Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. And in the green, he became very hungry. So what I can deduce about the person that makes the statement that all things are possible before he ever does the impossible, before he ever works a miracle, he teaches me something about himself. And the thing he teaches me is this. Possibility manifests through relationship and not need. Before Jesus ever does a miracle, we learn something about him. The Holy Spirit leads him. In other words, he's not just out here on a wing and a prayer and a whim. He will even teach us this in his own teachings in Mark 10. He says, I can't say what I want to say. I can only say what Daddy tells me to say. I can't just go out here and do whatever I want to do because I'm some magic man. I'm bound to a relationship with my father. His entire first sermon is introducing daddy to everybody on the hillside. You say, but I say, and if you'll go in the private, my father will reward you. My father will reward you. Like he literally teaches me something about impossibility. The greatest thing of the miracle happening in your life is not that you have a need. Everybody in the room has a need. The reality of it becoming a possibility is now how many of us really have a relationship with the person that can do something about it. Not just can he, can you? Well, of course I can. But am I in a relationship to know how he might pull it off? So when I flunk biology test and I'm thinking I shall drop out of school, I cannot pull this off. I go tell my mother in the nicest way, I'm dropping out of college. It's, it ain't for me. She says, well, son, I don't think that's the way you ought to do. Sit down. And she showed me a scripture. She said, if you'll purpose in your heart to put God first, God will make you ten times wiser. Daniel 1, great, but he sure did not help me pass biology. But when I realize my A in biology is my need... But I'm so busy in school, I have not talked to God, I have not read His Word, I have classes here. And surely my Father in Heaven knows that my classes are important. I have exams, I have papers, I have tests, and I just don't... What I would like though, is I would like you to know that when I get over here about the flunk, I want to call you on the bat phone and I want you to fix it. But until I need you to fix it, I ain't got time for you right now. I got to go to the gym. I've got to go running. I've got to study. I got to go to the library. That's before there were Google. I have to go through 5,000 little index cards to find my blooming book. I don't have time to go to a prayer service. I don't have time to do Wednesday night Bible study. I got an exam. P.S. though... I really need you to help me. And he's like, so, let me get this straight. You ignore me all the time until you're in a crisis, Mark? And then you want me to perform my power because you got yourself in a crisis because you haven't even given me half a burp of a day? And it's at that moment in 1984 that I realized 
is God really obligated to help a narcissistic I want to do me, I'm really busy about my life, my calendar's full and can I just obligate daddy to do something when I really don't even have a relationship with daddy? And maybe it wasn't his fault that I flunked. Maybe it was I have a time management problem and I don't even know how to manage my life because I can't even fit God into my life, much less if, if I can't get God in my life and I'm a believer, I have a time management problem. Whether I spend 42 hours in biology or not, if I'm a believer and don't have time for God, I got a time management problem. I realized at that moment I did, that was my first semester, I made a decision, I would never, here's what's weird, I made a decision, I would never again skip church, I would never miss a Wednesday, I would never miss a Sunday, I would never miss prayer meeting, I would never let a test, I would never let a class ever take me out of serving the house of God. On that moment, I made that. And for the rest of my college years, nearly eight years of going through grad schools and everything I did, I never missed a day in church. I never missed a Wednesday night. I didn't care what I had. I had made a commitment that relationship with my father would meet whatever need was awaiting me. And I graduated with honors. In grad school, I graduated with summa cum and graduated magna cum. A dude that couldn't even do biology. Mad that God didn't help me get an A until I got into relationship with him and realize I got a lot more issues here than just biology. But it came out of a relationship. And now I'm 56 and I can say that most of the things that have happened in my life transpired not because I fell at his feet crying, could you get me out of another hole? I put way too much money on a credit card. I just need you to help me. And he's like, Mark, what is the greater miracle? That somebody give you 10 grand to pay off your credit card debt? Yeah, that'd be a great miracle. I could use that miracle, Jesus miracle. Even the evangelist on the TV said, if I'd give him a seed, it would come back to me. I gave him a seed that my credit card would be paid off and put on there. I need my credit card paid off. I gave that evangelist $100. I believe it is coming back. And God's like, appreciate that, but I'm not on an ego trip here. I would much rather, rather than giving you a thousand or ten to pay off a credit card, I would much rather tell you that you use debt to pacify a desire that is unmet in other areas. Ah, I don't want to hear that. I just want you to do miracles and let me keep being so selfish that I overspend and I overbuy because I have some unmet need in me. Lord, I just want you to fix my wife. She never pursues me. She never does anything I want her to do. <laughs> just fix her, Lord. I guess I could do that. I could just go, Phew. and suddenly she's in lingerie coming down the hall. You're like, yes, Lord. He answered a prayer. But Mark, I'm not really on an ego trip, so let me just tell you something. She's sick of being third and fourth place in your life. So, why don't you put her where she belongs in, in your life? See, I don't like the relationship God because it doesn't feel like a miracle working God. It's a confrontive God. He confronts me to accomplish what He wants. When I focus on the need, I confront Him to tell Him what I want. Do you understand the difference? 
One, he confronts me to get me to what he wants in my life. And the other, I confront him to tell him what he needs to do in my life. So once you start like Jesus, I'm just going to be led. Before I ever do a miracle, I shall be led. Brings us to the next verse. It's all found in the three temptations of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever really studied it out, but it, it is interesting of what's being tempted. Because Lucifer, the angel, is tempting Jesus to do the impossible. He already knows that the God that is going to say anything is possible if you believe, before Jesus ever utters the words out of his mouth, Lucifer is going to put him in a battle to see if he believes anything is possible. This temptation is before he ever said anything is possible. So Lucifer steps in and says, Hey, the devil came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him. Now watch. The first temptation is to get him to do something impossible. All I want you to do is turn the stone, a rock, into a piece of bread. We know you can do that. How do I, as Lucifer, know? I have watched you two do the impossible from the beginning of time. I watched Moses part a Red Sea. Impossible. I watched you open the floodgates of the heavenly and destroy the world. That is impossible. I watched you close the mouth of a lion. I watched a rock hit a giant in the head. I watched three guys get in the fire and you got in with them. I know you can do the impossible. You see, before he ever walked on water or turned water into wine, he's tempting him that before he ever says anything is possible, he's tempting him to believe, watch, all things are possible. So go ahead, you know you're hungry. And watch what he says with an exclamation point. No! He didn't say, I, I can't do that. He didn't say, well, now let me work a little magic and show you really how good I am. He just says, no, the scriptures say, I don't live by bread alone. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do this thing, this impossible thing you want me to do. You're tempting me to do the impossible. You're trying to get me into a battle of words to do the impossible. No, I will not do the impossible. Why? Because he tells me the first line of it becoming possible in my life when all things are possible is this. Here's the thought. Possibility manifests through Scripture, not potential. Potential. He's the Son of God. So He could do it. But then the debate, if we were in a debate in a college or whatever kind of debate we wanted to debate, and somebody said, could Jesus turn the stone into bread? We're going to have two camps. We're going to have the yes, He could. And we're going to have the no, He can't. I mean, it is a battle. Can Jesus take that rock and turn that rock into a piece of bread? He is God, isn't he? And all things are possible if you're God, so yes. He could, watch, he could, but he didn't. The other camp is, oh, absolutely not. He cannot turn that stone into a piece of bread. And that side of the camp is the camp I land on is he cannot do it because Scripture won't allow him. And he has no power 
outside of Scripture. In his mind. I'm not going to do that. I cannot, I cannot go against what the Father has told me to do, the prophecies that he's given to me. I just can't wield my magic because I have a need. I can't just do it because I'm hungry. I can only do it because his word tells me to do it. And so he binds himself to Scripture. And I often wonder how many times I'm begging God for some impossible thing, but my life is not bound to Scripture. I'm begging God to do something for me. I'm begging God to get me out of debt. I'm begging God to heal my marriage. But I won't bind myself to Scripture to quit speaking the way I speak, treating her the way I treat her. I want Him to get me out of debt, but I don't want to read the Scripture that I need to be a giver and I'm living stingy. I don't want that. I want to live me and obligate Him to use His power to fix my problems. Don't ask me that I have to get in line with the Bible for the impossible to happen. Could Jesus have fixed the starter on the van? I'm sure He could. And I prayed He did. But in some weird way, they came and got me and took me to the mechanic. And the mechanic did was really not impossible. He did the possible. He just put a new starter on. And I was kind of frustrated that God had the audacity to allow me to have a bad starter. But possibility is not connected to Mark's need or my potential to pray down heaven. Because if all things are possible, then let's just all leave here, go to Douglasville County Hospital, Stand in the parking lot and command every sick person to be unplugged and walk out of that hospital. And probably 30 of us would go. And we would be on the news. What are y'all doing? We're commanding these sick people to come up out of those beds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I command you to walk. And we're going to be on the news like, who in God's name are these weird people? If you only believe, the reason they don't come out is y'all don't believe like us. You're full of Satan. But the reality is, there's not one scripture that tells me to go stand in front of a hospital and command the entire hospital to come forth. No different than he couldn't tell all the dead people with Lazarus, Hey, y'all all come on out of the grave. I feel spunky today. And they all came up out of the grave. No, he just was one because the father wouldn't let him just wield his magic for all the dead people. So it goes down to, did God tell you to go stand in front of the hospital and give you a scripture to stand on? If he did, you better go. Because now you have an authority that's not just your own ego or your own goosebump. Your father has told you something to do. And if your father says walk on water and you take a step and you do, praise God. But if you just feel spunky because you just listened to a good Christian song and you want to put your foot in the water and sink, don't blame it on God. That's what I mean by scripture. And there's, here's the thought. That just doesn't seem very miraculous. <laughs> scripture? It seems so unmiraculous. And yet there's something supernaturally powerful about Scripture. 
the one thing I know and I have learned about Scripture, the devil has zero comeback for it. He just has to move on. The next one is this. So the devil tries again and took him to Jerusalem to the point of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. What is he doing? He's tempting him again with the impossible. Come on, all you got to do is jump. I know that's impossible. You're going to hit the ground. It's going to hurt. But hey, your father is a miracle-working God. We know this to be true. Remember Elijah? He just went on up in a chariot. He's a miracle-working God. And you remember when they threw the dead man on Elijah's bones and he came alive? Even if you hit the ground and your bones break, you'll come alive. Just do it. Go ahead. What is he tempting him? He's tempting him that he's the God of impossibility, so why don't you just do impossible things? And so he says, uh, he'll order, watch how smart the devil is. The scriptures say, what? You mean the devil can quote the Bible? You mean to tell me Lucifer can literally know the scriptures better than me? Oh yeah. He will pervert them. He will take them out of context. He will make them fit your whatever it is you need. He will make you bend them to fit you. And what he says here is, just go ahead, you won't even hurt. Jesus said, no, you must not test the Lord your God. He didn't say, no, God, God's going to catch me before, or can God catch me, or will God? He just said, no. Yes, he's an impossible God. Yes, he can do impossible things, but I'm not about to tempt him. Yes, he can do impossible things if you needed to swim to Cuba, but I just highly would recommend you don't. Right? So he doesn't discount he's not possible. He just says, I don't want to tempt his possibility. So ding, 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 ten miles to empty, ding, ding, five miles to empty, ding, ding, three miles to empty. Come on, Lord. Jesus, God Almighty, I command the gas to come in this car. That's great if that's what you want to do. But kind of the way I see that is I want to tempt you. I want to put you to the test to see if you really are a God that will overcome my inability to admit that I do not have the wherewithal to pull over the tank. So come on, God, and do it for me. I often wonder if that's faith or if it's tempting him. I don't know because I'm not in the car with you. If it's my wife, I go, quit tempting God. It just makes me have to come put gas in your car. But oh, the day. Can you imagine the glee when she calls me and says, I'm running out of gas. Oh, oh, my tank is full. Out of that glory to God, we did it. I don't know, but this is what he says. Here's the truth behind it. Possibility manifests when you trust God and not obligate Him. And sometimes I wonder if the empty gas tank is less about trusting Him and more about obligating Him. I wonder if my back, oh, my knees needing healed is more about me obligating Him to heal my knees 
because I don't want to hear that I'm overweight and I'm not taking care of my body and I don't walk and I don't go to the gym. I live a sedentary lifestyle. So what I'd like to do is take this knee to you and ask you to please uh, the need of my knee and obligate you to heal my knee. Can he? Absolutely. Will he? Yes, he's a healing God. But what's the greater miracle? For him to look at Mark's life and go, wow, I healed your knee, Mark. I feel so good with myself that I healed your knee. But however, Mark, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, everything about your life is so out of whack with health. You don't even give half the time to stay healthy. What you eat, how you think, and what you put in your body. But you want to obligate me to heal your knee that hurts because you're 82 pounds overweight, Mark. Mark, Mark, Mark. Let me get a hold of you a minute. Come into a relationship with me. Let me teach you how to not be so gluttonous. Let me teach you how to not use blizzards to reward yourself of a job well done. Let me teach you how to be uh, uh, consistent to go to the gym, consistent to take care of your body. Then, Mark, what's the greater miracle? That your entire body is healthy and you can live a longer, more prosperous life or the fact that you can stand up and go, God healed my knee like I'm on an ego trip. I'm not against any of it. I will pray for... God, heal my knee, heal my knee. But the greater miracle is I need to learn to trust Him, not just obligate Him. God, here's $10,000 of credit card debt. Oh, uh, I just need you to do something. Do you really want me to do something, Mark? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay, here's what we're going to do, Mark. You emotional buy. You talk yourself into why you need it. You project how much you're going to get back on your taxes and spend it before you ever get it. Or do you want me to just write you a check and we just forget all this stuff that's really going on in your life? I just want you to write me a check and forget that I'm spending $300 on coffee a month. Or that I overspend because I have too many credit cards. Do you understand when he says all things are possible? Yes, but it's coming out of a relationship with the person that said it is teaching us how to have a relationship and walk with him and how to be under his scriptures and how to learn to trust him rather than obligate him. Because if he jumps, he's obligated him. But if he just stands on the side and says, I'm not moving until dad, I don't care what you tell me, Satan, I'm not moving until dad says jump. Now he trusts him and it brings us to the final temptation, which again is an impossibility. Lucifer takes him to a high peak of a very mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world. That's an impossibility. You can't see the kingdoms of the world from a natural perspective. So Lucifer, in some strange way, uses his power to open up the kingdoms of the world to show the Son of God, here's all the kingdoms. And I'll give all of it to you if you'll just worship me. That's all you got to do. I'll give everything to you. In other words, the temptation was, I will give you the impossibility, the kingdoms of the world, if you'll worship me. But the temptation was, I'll give it to you, but you'll have to come out of a relationship with your father because he's already told you how you'll get it. You'll have to die. I'll give it to you, but you have to come out of a relationship with the word because the prophets have already prophesied how you'll die. I'll give it to you if you'll just, you know, just trust your feelings and trust how you feel because you know you don't want to go through that pain. You know you don't want to be beaten. I'll... I'll there you go. So just deny what the Father wants. Deny what Scripture says. Go with your gut here. You can have it all. And Jesus ends this way. Get out of here. Don't you love it? 
like they've known each other for eternity as if they were brothers. Dude, just get out of here. You're not going to tempt me to do the impossible against my Father's will and against Scripture and against what's reasonably right within His kingdom. No! You must worship the Lord and Him only shall you serve. Here's the final thought of why impossible things could happen. Possibility manifests through worship, not worry. And I find a lot of impossible things we want God to do come because we're afraid, we're scared, we're fearful, we're weak, we're hurting, we're broken. Now, this is I'll end with this thought. This is just my testimony. It doesn't mean it's true. For, but, but my experience is, I would say 9 out of 10 things that I've watched happen in my life that if I was marking them as, oh, definitely God intervened. Oh, God intervened. And, oh, man, God intervened. I would say eight to ten, nine to ten of those happened not because I obligated God, begged God, pleaded with God, and asked God why. They happened because I became a worshiper. And despite how I felt, despite what I was going through, in spite of the things I was struggling with, in spite of the sickness in my body, I just would lift my voice and worship. And sometimes I had to force myself to just, How great is my God. Sing with me how great is my God. You are faithful and true. Oh, so faithful. And I just worship. My back wasn't any better. My rash wasn't any better. My money wasn't any better. But the whole time I'm worshiping Him, the whole time I'm just saying, I know who you are, and I understand what I'm going through, but I give you worship. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all the praise. Every time I brought myself to worship rather than obligate, to worship rather than force Him to do something, to worship, this is weird, in some weird way, He always brought me to the miracle of the thing that was impossible. I don't know how to present it any better than I believe all things are possible because our Master said it. But I believe the way He said it brings me to first ask, not why didn't it happen, but am I in a relationship? Not why didn't it happen, but am I under Scripture? Not why didn't it happen, but am I obligating God? Not why didn't it happen, but do I worship Him anyway? And out of those four parameters of my life, from relationship to worship, if I will be a Christian believer that will worship Him, I believe all things are possible. And I believe He does the things that blow our mind and we don't even know why, and then we look back and go, it's because you worshipped Him. You followed Him. You listened to Him. You were humble. When he told you, you listened. And I believe out of that, here comes the conclusion. Possibility, what Jesus said, all things are possible, manifest when you enter a worshipful relationship with God and His Word, trusting Him beyond worry and need. Would you do me a favor and just close your eyes a moment? I hope something I said struck you to encourage you. 
that Jesus told us the truth. All things are possible. But when he told us that, he was inviting us not to just bring all the needs to his feet and ask him to work his magic. He was inviting us into a worshipful relationship with himself and his word. And out of that, he will meet your need. So today, is your plate full of obligations? Are you mad at him? Are you frustrated with him that he's not doing what you're demanding him to do? Are you wishful, hoping, but nothing's happening? Then let's start at point one. How's your relationship with him? Do you spend time with him? Do you listen for his voice? Do you ask him what he wants to do in the situation or do you tell him what you think he should do? Or do you stop and say, Father, what would you do? How is your relationship with his word? Is it just a devotion manual? Something that you check the box? Or is it the plumb line to guide your life? How are you with your needs? Do you just create them yourself and then obligate him to fix them all? And then are you a worshiper or a worrier? Do you have time every day where you sit and commune with Him, talk with Him, kneel down, quiet yourself, to speak to Him? Because when you come to that place, out of that comes possibility. He will speak to you. He'll tell you what to do. He'll guide you to the answers. He'll show you how to overcome. He'll lead you through still waters. Even in the fire you won't be burned because He's ever with you. He's always faithful even to the end. But He sure desires not for us to just burn His ego, but for us to yield to His fatherhood and submit to His word and worship Him for who He is and not just what He does. So Father, today, speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Show us where we fit in this moment of believing as your followers everything's possible. The areas that are broken, give us insight. The areas we're rebellious, talk to us so we can say we need forgiveness. The areas that are out of line, show us where we're out of line that we may correct course and that we'll obey you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.